Hello and welcome to episode 369 of the Crate and Crowbar, a PC gaming podcast being recorded on the 14th of May 2021. I'm Marsh Davis and this evening I'm joined by Tom Senior. Hello. And Chris Thurston. Man, screw this castle. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> what castle? What the what castle's done to us? Sorry, I was I was I was embodying uh, my new favorite internet video games man Ethan Winters of Resident Evil. Ah, uh, yes, I'm familiar with the man. I thought you were as well when you just said "whoa" in a flat way. <laughs> he does actually say that. <laughs> I was like, Tom's picked up on what I'm laying down immediately. He's run with it, and I'm delighted. What do you all keep dying on me? <laughs> Ow, what, my hand! Where's my arm gone? <laughs> and other beautiful quotes. We'll return to that, I'm sure. Best written video games character. Of ever question ever question mark we'll see <laughs> is there any news to discuss i mean yeah kind of uh that mass effect dream talking about um uh hopefully writing that stands up the test of time um mass effect remaster is out today at the time of recording friday i played the first hour and a half of it and uh, i basically really enjoyed it and been telling everyone just to shut the hell up <laughs> which is you don't get to say that very often to characters in games and i really enjoyed the way that uh Shepard is written from the very beginning. You can just be just a kind of brutal asshole. <laughs> People nice. do all their friends just died on them, and uh, she never screams. So oh, why you all keep dying on me? Because why were better writers uh, back then than uh, Resident Evil writers at the moment? Uh, but she, she does. Some, some people kind of run up to her and they'll be crying about all their friends that are dead, and you can just tell them, tell them just to shut up, <laughs> shut up, and get behind those boxes. <laughs> I want that dialogue option in more of my games. Thank you very much. But yes, it's been remastered, all three games, in one package. And I'm playing it on my PS4 Pro on a big 4K telly. And that's a nice way to play a remastered version of those games, which still look really good. Nice. How's the combat feel? Uh, a bit wonky the first one, yeah. Um, I know that it kind of gets better from game to game. Uh, but starting out, I swear they've changed like the sound of the guns. Uh, they said, like mm. The assault rifle sounds like a big old assault rifle, like a, a modern assault rifle. I'm sure it never used to sound like that. I'm sure it's more pew pew, but I might just be my memory. I think just misremembering what. Yeah, like. maybe everything was tinnier in 2007. Yeah, possibly. Uh, but yeah, yeah it's, it's still got that lovely kind of lens flare laden, smooth silhouettes uh, and starscapes to really, really good music, and that just sort of makes my brain happy. And uh, it's, seeing that at high resolution is good enough for me. I feel like I've got no takes left to offer about Mass Effect at this point. I, I will play it again, and I don't—I wasn't sure if I ever would, having replayed the whole series so many times. Hmm. But I think I will. Um, I don't know exactly when because I, I'd like to finish Cyberpunk and Resi and a few of the other games that I've been kind of plodding along through. And I definitely play games a lot less nowadays. So the notion of like a two hundred hour, two hundred fifty hmm. hour full trilogy redo is kind of a uh, feels like a big. A big thing from a different era in my life but you know seeing the seeing the little launch trailer today and the music and stuff it does kind of pull at something deep inside some feeling that i've relentlessly mined while <laughs> putting video <laughs> games together <laughs> probably quite good then isn't it is there any other news i can't really think that there is to be honest so no, is the answer. <laughs> this was the, this happened last week as well. Like, uh, it feels like the whole industry's in stasis a bit to me at the moment. Mm. Um, Just sort of a fun mm. headline on PC Gamer that we shouldn't dig into very much, but uh, a quote from uh, Google's uh, developer marketing lead, Nate Ahern, saying that Stadia is alive and well, which is often <laughs> not, a, not a phrase you need to use about yeah. software that is 
alive and well. <laughs> yeah. If you, yeah, you have to declare something alive, things. <laughs> it's just lying very quietly under six feet of earth. That's all. <laughs> it's recoup. It's convalescing. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know what the, that broader story is. I just, that uh, uh, headline made me smile. And I'll be honest with you, I'm basically doing the news live at this point. Um, <laughs> Are there any sadia stands out there? Anyone who could tell us why it's good? Why it's good? Yeah. Or is it just going to fade away? Like every human life does eventually. And even machine ones sometimes. This is a good, um, this is a good story. Um, the uh, uh, Mediatonic um, fall, developers of Fall Guys managed to uh, leak the entire uh, source code for Fall Guys on Steam through a Steam update. Um <laughs> Um, but the, um, and, and this is, um, you know, like one of those things that is mortifying when it happens. And as someone who kind of publishes things on behalf of a game studio every now and then, uh, this fills me with like vicarious fucking terror. But the thing that is very funny about this is the name of the update. Um, thanks to a default unity naming scheme is fall guys, client back up this folder, but don't ship it with your game. <laughs> <laughs> Oh. <laughs> oh that's rough oh, but funny oh boy i think i think i think they they yoinked it pretty quick but yeah yeah <laughs> anyway thanks front page of pcgamer.com uh that's the news should we talk about a game we've been playing yeah Perfect. how about resi mm. oh yes all right tom i want to i want to build like so i um i played a couple of hours of resi and then I was like, I want to, I want to hear what you had said about it because I'd seen people, you know, reacting to the previous. Yes, I saw that too. <laughs> yeah, so I jumped back in, and apart from the very funny part of the last episode, I thought where um Alex, uh, Alex and Graham had to explain the internet's fascination with Lady. <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> um, I, I do, I do know. By the way, <laughs> <laughs> maybe give me the opportunity to set the record straight. I did. I had this interesting experience of like I agree with every single thing that you said about it. Mm. However. I've had an inexplicably nice time in what is a complete six out of 10 of a game, like uh, a real, it's really deeply mediocre. And I think in some pretty disappointing ways, given the history of the series. And I also think it might be a deliberate question mark, kind of like camp goth. Yeah. Uh, I'm just, I'm still trying to figure that out. Hit. I'm still trying to figure it out. Yeah. And also that seems to be the reaction of lots of people who like it. People are definitely just really, really enjoying it. And I, I, I'm kind of aunt actually, to be honest, which is why I said all the things I said last week. Yeah. But I, I feel like I've, I've, I've sort of slipped into a sort of uh, parallel universe where I just sort of like find it all irritating instead of being swept along by the, the cabinets, which is delightful, though, in some ways. Uh, so, yeah, it sounds like you've been enjoying it. Yeah. I, I, so I think, you know, it took me a while to figure out exactly what it is. And I think there's some real whiplash going on in its um, awkward position between as i think you pointed out well it feels like this it feels like they the resident evil series escalated in silliness because it's always been a very silly game right like even you know it's worth remembering when you compare it to resident evil 4 which is definitely a superior game in every possible way that is still a game where you fight a tiny wee little napoleon boy um and so yes. it was you know what i mean it's always remember it's worth around big personalities in, in strange european gothic locales is kind of a thing the series has done before and it's um but you know, after that point, Resident Evil escalated so much and got so silly by the time it hit six that obviously they felt the need with seven to strip things back to basics. I think they've been very explicit about that. 
Um, and in doing so, they scared the shit out of a lot of people. They made a much scarier game, um, a very different, a, a big departure, I think, tonally and, and kind of in terms of gameplay. And then it feels like they must have been stuck in this pattern of what do we do next? And in the meantime, they did the really good Resi 2 remake and the all right resi 3 remake both of those felt like kind of they were you know they were interesting updates to those games but also sort of um maybe holding pattern stuff to some extent like what does the series do next is not a question that's going to be answered by either of those remakes and i think that their answer to what the series does next is like the maddest answer they could have possibly come up with which is well we're going to take we're going to build off what we did in resi 7 but force it to act as also a successor and a kind of, you know, uh, to the the level of absurdity that the series had begun, had reached or had been in kind of waddling around in for a while in its kind of latter day action game horror soap opera days. And that shouldn't work at all. And it basically doesn't. And yet, <laughs> and yet I kind of, I am having fun, I think, because of the absurdity of it. And I think there's... I mean, there's something to be said for one thing I thought was interesting, um, and, and shout out to Discord member um, uh, Dynamic Calories, uh, Luke, who who pointed out that uh, Axios's games newsletter did an interview with um, one of the producers, uh, Tsuyoshi Kanda, where he says explicitly that the intent for the game was to make something far more accessible than Resi 7 that anybody could play, and that that meant making it less scary. And that's mm. that's 100% what they were aiming for. And through that lens, the game starts to make some sense, I think, as a accessible distillation of what a Resi game is. It's not very hard. It's not very scary. It's got kind of showpiece violence and kind of spectacle in it to kind of give you the sense of what it could be like. But it's there to kind of, you know, create... It's, this is such faint praise, but it's like it creates the sense of playing a full resi game without actually doing that like and that's the impression i get from it and there's there's a phenomenon i have because it has the you know um you know it's 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 structure which is a lot like resi or any resi game really where you kind of gradually on pushback the the you know your your kind of access to an environment that gradually unlocks while contending with ammo shortages and various monsters and maybe some kind of boss monster solving light puzzles or sometimes more sophisticated puzzles and then kind of moving on to the next area, um, it is intact, but it's also extremely short and sort of truncated. Um, you know, Resi's structure, um, I think it has echoes in like Dark Souls' structure and other games like that, which are, you know, that that sense of like escalation and relief as you get back to the typewriter or as you get back to the bonfire or as you unlock the shortcut that brings you back to a bit where you were earlier or when you realize how an area links together. Like those are the little pleasures of a game like that, I think, mechanically. And in doing levels where like you have literally you, you get to the roof of the castle and you're back out of the roof of the castle within literally like three minutes having solved it. But for, for me, that creates the like like the same feeling, but in like lazy man microcosm where I didn't have to try very hard to get the feeling of like, well, I've conquered the roof section, but it didn't take me a couple of hours. It took me about three minutes and I'm definitely proportionally less satisfied by that, but also I'm very tired. And like part <laughs> of me is quite glad <laughs> that it didn't push me too hard or ask me to do too much. And that is an extremely faint praise because I think you were absolutely right that like one of the strange things about it is this is a series that knows how to do survival horror action 
in a crumbling village with lots of routes of escape and bottlenecks to form and resources to gather and ways to trap or outmaneuver a horde of shambling horrors. And yet they just, they just do it worse than it was done 10, 15 years ago. Uh, it's also a series that knows how to do tense horror against a sort of semi-intelligent pursuer in an interesting sort of uh, layered environment that you have to increase navigate in increasingly complex loops in order to crack out of it, which is like the the police station in the Resident Evil remake, and it does that, but it's just dumb. It's just real dumb. You know, I I, I have been in a, a loop for a while now. I, I, for the sake of spoil, I'm not going to spoil very. I, I hope I won't spoil very much. I do want to talk about some things that happen, but you know, I'm stuck in a loop now where the 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 safe room in in Castle de Matresque is like right next to the the room where you've got to bring all of the MacGuffins to do the thing for for probably obvious reasons. And Big Vampire Lady herself really likes to stand in there. And so Mike, one of the most common experiences loading the game now for me is to load the game, step out of the safe room. She stood there, she turns around and unsheaths her claw hand and says you know, says something like, you will pay for trespassing in Castle Dermatresque. And I just step back into the safe room, but the door's still open and she just stands there <laughs> and looks at me. And I look at her and she looks at me and I look at her and she looks at me and then the door closes by itself and I wait until I can hear her moving away. <laughs> and then I look out of the door and she turns around and comes back and I'm trapped in the safe room. And it's like, this isn't probably the intended experience of Resident <laughs> Evil, apart from the fact that they want you to have these safe these safe areas where the tension is, is relieved. And so you just kind of live with this slightly dodgy version of an experience. They've definitely done better and more elegantly in other contexts. And yet, and yet, I am I'm really curious about the um, the police who are arriving to take me away any minute now um, <laughs> for my middling take. But um, um, I'm very curious about like the the degree of intent in all this. Cause this is this is in the most charitable fucking reading. But like they really engaged a lot of resources in the the performers and the mocap and and these scenes. Like it is fundamentally in addition to being this kind of like. Um, grab bag of lightweight resi type experiences aren't quite as good as previous games but they're kind of there and it looks nice so you persevere with it it's also this series of first person vignettes where a series of intensely acting actors acting actingly do terrible things to your hands (laughs) and that's that's it's other thing and and this starts as like oh maybe you know this is a fairly obvious trick at this point Bioshock did this right you're making an immersive first person horror game the only thing the player sees half the time is their hands so get ready for a protagonist who is quite either silent or boring but who a lot of fuck a lot of shit happens to his hands um it, you know Res even mimics the bit in Bioshock where bees come out of your hands like mm. it has some of the same beats and um and those moments are like really like constructed you can see some of the making of videos like they really put a lot of time into them and the actors i would say are doing a good job with the material they're given they really are going for it and like they are in this hammer horror movie of their own kind of kind of conjuring in those moments and i feel like with the level of attention to detail in the environments and the level of effort put into those performances the fact that the script is as dire as it is surely cannot be an accident 
And I, I kind of want to like backseat elevate it to like the status of like strange stylistic choice. <laughs> like the mm. anime that is, it's way too generous, but like, <laughs> but like the bit where, the bit where Ethan Winters says, "Man, screw this castle," is <laughs> while he's, he's is while he he's riding a mystic stone elevator up out of the grounds of the castle, having just escaped near certain death at the hands of a big vampire lady, while sewing his own hands on back on with some magic juice <laughs> that has also has the effect of stitching his jacket back together, which I yeah. fucking love. That detail, that detail alone shows this can't be an accident because someone fucking animated the jacket getting healed and like is it made out of leather because that would make sense i guess i guess it would um and it just turns back into a cow <laughs> <laughs> damn this cow arm <laughs> wow <laughs> wow um like while this is happening uh the bit like i love that whole sequence can i all right I really want to talk about that whole sequence because hmm. it, it's like the best evidence I think I have for like what the, 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 the crisp stylistic, this is all a stylistic choice hypothesis, right? I'm going to, I'm going to spoil something gently. Um, it's early in the game. Forgive me, skip ahead a minute or two if you don't want to hear about a sequence, but basically the designers found themselves in this position at a certain point, Lady Dimitrescu is going to be released into the, the house to chase you in certain sections in a freeform way. Player needs to be taught about this. They need to be taught that they cannot fight her and that the way to deal with her is to, um, much like um, tricking a dog about which way you've thrown a ball, look like you're going one way and then quickly go the other way. Um, and so they do this by dropping you in the cellar into a effectively like a wine cellar that has an approximate figure of eight shape when you factor in the various obstacles that have been put in your way. And the goal of, and there's a door with a big leave that you have to pull at one end. And the goal is you go there um, and you're forced to evade Lady Dimitrescu in that area and therefore learn the fundamental verbs that you're going to be using for the rest of this part of the game. There's one problem with this, which is this is also a game about limited ammo um, and conserving your ammunition. Um, but if you put an enemy in front of the player, they're going to shoot it. And there's no way that shooting that enemy isn't going to cause either the player to screw themselves over by using all that ammo or a bunch of feel bad when they realize that they've used half of ammo before learning the lessons. Probably no way to account for that in the design. Otherwise, unless you give them tons of ammo afterwards, which would be weird. And so they need to stop you from firing your guns for that section. And now if you are a naughty dog, let's say, or I don't know, Sony Santa Monica or any game, any developer at the moment making kind of first person linear adventure games like this, what probably happens is the player like, has a forced fail fall sequence as they're entering the room or they they get kind of like suddenly grabbed or thrown against something and their guns go like scattering through the bars of a cage off to the other side and you have to go get there to get them back something like that to temporarily disarm you what they do instead <laughs> is have you reach for the lever and at the moment you reach for the lever out of fucking nowhere even though she's nine foot tall lady dimitrescu is behind you and she cuts your arm off she cuts your hand off, well, not your arm, she cuts your forearm off, including most of the jacket or a chunk of jacket. Um, you then pick up your own hand and it pops up as an inventory, like an inventory item pickup. <laughs> it goes boom and you've picked up your own hand. And then, and then, and, and Ethan Winters goes, shit. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then 
you do the the, the thing. You, you she chases you slowly, and you learn to evade her, and you get and you have to go back to the you have to lure her to the other end of the room, and then go back to the lever and pull it with your other hand, and then wait while it opens, and that might mean evading her again, and then you run through and you get on the lift, and he says, "Man, screw this castle," <laughs> and while and then he pours herbs and chemicals on his on his stump sticks his hand back on it lowers out of frame and then it comes back in and it's magically reattached and there's even a little seam where the jacket has been resealed and it is incredibly funny and like every part of every detail there is very funny in a way that i think is sometimes more obviously humor in like other games like almost just like has a little ui gag and it you know this and that and it feels it feels like that is either like evidence for this being <laughs> real bad or really playful in a way that i quite like and i i i don't know i don't know i don't know am i being too generous like yes but <laughs> whether it's intentional or not the question is would it be better if it was good <laughs> <laughs> If if they really delivered on the horror aesthetic and they had something uh, a more compelling reason for your hands to grow back or lose your weapons or that was tutorialized better or, or you know Ethan just never said anything stupid would that be a more pleasurable experience to you Chris than I, a game which is stupid I think I think for me the only thing that really hurts it in the end is the fact that it is very thin as a Resident Evil game. As much as I'm like, oh, I'm kind of glad this is there's not much going on here and I'm I can get through it quickly. That's only because, like, it's like when it's the exact feeling you get when a meeting you were looking forward to gets cancelled, <laughs> and you're like, well, I was looking for. Actually, no, it's 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 different. It's the exact feeling of a D and D game you were looking forward to getting cancelled, where it was. I was really looking forward to this, but it would have also been work. And now I can play Monster Strain and stare into space. Like you know, that's the that's the feeling I have, and that's not necessarily something to chase in entertainment that you've paid uh, fifty pounds for. So I think that's the problem. I think if it had, if it was Resi Four, but like had these these incredibly silly sequences in, and even this script. I'd be happy with that. I think like, I don't want resident evil to suddenly become like sensible drama um, mm. or like, you know, and, and to be fair, it's never had like incredible protagonists. Somebody's going to come at me for that. But like Leon is, is not exactly like a beacon of personality at the best of times. And so, you know, it's, it can it's kind always of... been terribly written. Like, yeah. That is, that is its thing. Surely. But that's the thing is, has it become its thing, right? Like, mm. I feel like what they've gone is, gone, do you know what people like about Resident Evil? They like a bit where the man says, you were almost a Jill sandwich. <laughs> and like, they've just decided to run with that. It feels like, it feels like House of the Dead. I was talking to yeah. um, uh, Paul, Paul Canavan about this. Like, it has that feeling of like, how great it feels. Like, like if House of the Dead came back and suddenly it didn't have that incredible dialogue, you'd miss it. That's what I'm going to say. I think, and I think a new Resi game kind of needs to have a moment where someone goes, "Man, screw this castle!" while sewing on his own hand. Yeah, I think that's oh, a bit, yeah. the reason the hand things become such a talking point. I think is because the rest of the game is so drab that those moments kind of almost like if you're looking for something to rescue it, you do totally you do turn to those moments of just it being completely inexplicably batshit. Um, and if the rest of the game was better, that would be more jarring in a way <laughs> like it if like um the giant uh vampire woman 
was like intelligent and actually pursued you properly as the nemesis does in previous resident evil games but even though when those sequences are scripted like you slams through a wall in a preordained place there's a real terror to it and uh the way the movement is calibrated so that you you're only just slightly faster than him and you can use environments in ways that you've not seen other enemies use it uh, and she's a completely dumb monster who just walks very slowly towards you while cackling repeating lines over and over again um and in that context, uh, having your arm chopped off in a comedy cutscene suddenly is a highlight <laughs> of the experience, rather than being something that is just like far out stupid. It's like it happened in Alien Isolation or something. <laughs> it is, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. It'd be like, whoa, what? But Alien Isolation, Isolation is a good game, so it doesn't need to kind of create these really batshit nonsense moments and have these kind of really, really cartoon villains. Uh, mm. There's a kind of a staple of them, um, and without that, it would all just be like very staid, staid werewolves and and kind of gothic horror stuff um yeah i, I don't know I, it's, it's, I still think it's not very good <laughs> no I, I don't think you're wrong i don't think you're wrong i think i think maybe i'm like i'm trying to crush it until there's a diamond there but like yeah, yeah. i mean i have found i will say this i'm finding it surprisingly quotable for a game that is as bad as it is like when you first i'm not going to spoil it but like when you learn how to harm the vampires like lady dimitrescu's daughters each which is like a mini boss fight the first time you're kind of shy, the, the whole sequence where you find out how this works is dumb. But <laughs> after after you figure out how to deal harm to these otherwise invulnerable kind of pursuit characters, I'm pretty sure she says, "Oh no, my body," which is one of my favorite things anyone <laughs> in the game has ever said. <laughs> and like, and and that keeps coming back to me as well. Um, like, I, I I don't know. I think it I feels like were it a were it not a Resi game, had it just sort of plumped into being out of nowhere, I think it would be heading for some kind of cult status. And I think maybe on the intentionality side, part of me is like, it does feel quite calculated to attract a cult following in a mainstream way. Maybe that's the most cynical thing I could say about it. Is like, it feels like, you know, Resi 7 didn't really give you any memes, you know? This, this man sure doesn't like mold, whatever. Yeah, there are definitely bits like that. So in that same castle, like, one of the things you have to slot into another thing is um, a famed bottle of wine produced. It's a vintage produced by that castle, and it has to go in a you know a wine bottle holder somewhere for a door to open. And uh, there's a bit of kind of text you can find, which is like, oh, this is magnificent boutique to it. It's really nice. And then you find out it's just labelled in your inventory as Virgin's Blood. <laughs> I was like, so you're saying the quiet part out loud here, everybody. Like, <laughs> uh, and it's like that's just the label on the bottles. <laughs> uh, in the, oh, what, what, what did they brew up there in the vampire castle? <laughs> mm. <laughs> really leaning, leaning on that marketing there, very good. But yeah, you're right, that's that's also just feels like an intentional thing. Other that, or, I, I wonder how this interacts with um, uh, localization as well. Like, mm. is there mm. a sense of humor there that does uh, just translates differently or weirdly, or that translators are trying to capture? I'm not sure. What is, so I do wonder if there is a sort of satire to. Uh, the way your character behaves and the mismatch between that and what the the player can and and wants to do like th mm. through a lot of the game usually this is a hallmark of uh just a bad game and maybe it is here as well but um for example in when you first turn up to the village very very early on in the game you're sort of stumbling through these abandoned buildings and uh the only even though it feels like you should have more choices, the only thing you can do is to go towards the source of some very threatening sounding noises. <laughs> or you go into a building and there's nothing you can do in the building but look in some cupboards and then come out again 
towards something which is obvious peril. And there's no reason at all, no in-fiction reason why you would go into a building and look in the cupboards. But you do as a player, because that's literally all you can do. Maybe. And my baby is in here. <laughs> <laughs> and that doesn't make any sense. Like, Ethan is obviously fucking insane. But, <laughs> but there's, there's an even earlier point in an earlier cutscene where your wife is preparing uh, a big, big vat of soup. And your character reaches for it as though as though he's going to put his hand in the soup. He goes, "Oh, what's that?" And it's like he's going to just plunge his hand into a boiling vat, and she's kind of slaps his hand playfully away. But that's what you do if you're reaching for a bread roll or a cookie. You don't do that with a giant bowl of. Well, maybe but Ethan does because he has he's invulnerable hands. Invulnerable hands. Yeah. <laughs> That's why he's so hard. He's been just dunking his hands in dangerous situations since he was born. <laughs> just really hardening them up for this inevitable chopping. Oh, he's a God. Ridiculous I like man. That. He is a ridiculous man. His total lack of concern for his wife is <laughs> pretty amazing as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Jesus. Shit. He explains. <laughs> oh, God. It, yeah. It's so strange. I'm gonna complete, I'm gonna finish it. What else yeah, we can do? With the time? Exactly. I think I think that I think it's maybe coasting on that. Like I, I think it's such a strange thing, and I, I like maybe like maybe it would be effective at kind of like getting. Um, God, I hate. I usually hate this line of argument, but like it has achieved that thing of like getting people talking about resi as a kind of new exciting thing again. Which I don't think Seven actually achieved. I like mm. to talk about that interview. Like, I think they were right. I think Seven was too scary for most people. And I think that's an interesting thing to enter into. Like, we passed through that era where it felt like the future of this genre was going to be like PT and Resi Seven, where they were really pushing how scary they could make like a first person stripped back horror experience. Basically, learning all those lessons from like immersive first person games. That you know of that era, you sort of you you gone homes and whatnot, and like really pushing that, and also you know, games like Alien Isolation, which I think is an incredible game, um, but actually I think struggles because it's so scary, you know, mm-hmm. um, it is they they did an incredible job of making it fucking terrifying, and that is like kind of what you sign up for until you're in the middle of it. And there aren't very many people who would sit through a 20 hour horror movie, let alone yeah. a 20 hour horror movie that they had to press forward on an analog stick to keep it going. Um, and so, you know, there's all these interesting tensions in that genre, I think, between um, what players say they want versus what they actually want, how long an experience a horror game can sustain when it's really scary. And I do think that Resi 8 is a, is a concerted attempt to solve that by both deflating the tension every available opportunity intentionally with things like safe rooms and probably unintentionally with just the entire personality of Ethan Winters <laughs> while also in itself adopting this like anthology format where you're kind of you know it practically is an anthology thing right like you're kind of it's yes it's just one story but it really is like a handful of dedicated horror scenarios that are really each individually heavily themed and I suspect both of those things are quite concerted efforts to provide ways in to horror games for people who otherwise wouldn't wouldn't play them and that's that's worthy i think in and of itself yeah also explain why like some of the perhaps most you call most successful almost watched horror games have actually been streamed on twitch and then actually they've enjoyed 
one step removed by the audience reacted to, reacted to someone reacting to Five Nights at Freddy's uh, to the jump scares. And that's kind of almost like a, a secondary form of entertainment from the genre that is more accessible than just that guy playing it in a room on his own and shitting himself. <laughs> right. And I think there's also like, you know, there's something to be said, like, and that, that feels like maybe the intentional part of its design that like, you know, these are not just going to be generic horror gribbles. We're going to make the vampires sexy. We're going to make, but in a kind of interesting way where mm. Twitter will feel okay about its big old horn. Like, you know, cause it, it's not, it's not explicitly titillating or it sits on a kind of a different axis in some ways. And so, yeah. and similarly, like the other monsters are going to be kind of interesting. We're going to pay some actors to just ham the fuck out of this, not just the monsters either, but like the villagers, like who are all going to give it like 12 out of 10, a hundred percent of the time until they die 80 seconds after you beat them <laughs> in every case. And Ethan like reacts as though, like with just far, far greater distress than his wife. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i loved you girl i just met <laughs> get that. but i've got to die now ethan you could just not stand on that plank i know she dies in such a stupid way i was always <laughs> shouting at the screen it's, yeah, exactly. it's, like, it's so stupid they, they they it has the very specific energy and intensity of like you've gone to the first night of a secret cinema <laughs> uh, <laughs> and the actors are all like overdoing it because they haven't learned how to dial it back to where it should be yet hmm. um that that's maybe that's a reference for me but the, you know it has that yeah i, I actually quite like that there's, there's something quite comforting about it um but also why <laughs> why enjoy the uh, uh upcoming pt ripoff and other bits that they've just nicked from other games <laughs> heck yeah yeah did you guys have trouble getting it to work properly on PC? Uh, I've not been playing on PC yet because my PC is slowly dying and my new one's six uh, months. N- no, but my PC is brand new and made mm. of pure laser energy as far as I can tell. I see. Maybe that's why. process my lasers faster. Yeah. I, d- I don't know how this has gone down generally, but uh, just, just booting up early today, I thought it was like one of the worst ports to PC oh. that I've I've seen in a, a decade, Oof. but maybe it was just. Uh, I mean, none of the none of the menus make any sense, or the options in them, and it does this weird sort of upresing thing with the textures. Though, even though the resolution is set at the the correct resolution for my monitor, it looks like it's running at like maybe a third of that resolution. But oh, all weird. the geometry oh, is is has the. It's it's like the scene is all the textures are are have a kind of de-resing filter applied to them, even though the geometry and everything else appears to be operating at the, at the correct resolution. It's a really weird uh, effect that I've never seen before in a game, and it oh. looks trash. Um, but after some fiddling, I got it to look look okay. But it was very, very confusing. But you didn't experience that? Okay, well. No, it's been fine. <laughs> it's been completely fine for me. Although I'm running it like everything cranked up and then up two, two times upscaled. So. Hmm. Are you also playing it on a... Um, pad no so on advice um from a pal i switched to keyboard and mouse and that's made me enjoy it a lot more oh well i am playing on 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 mouse and keyboard but i I find that's the one thing it didn't uh, the the mouse movement is set at a sensitivity which barely registers yeah you have to turn it up by about eight times (laughs) so Um, that you're not but even then it's got this crazy auto aim um, which prevents you from taking headshots because it's constantly sp- spazzing your reticle d- 
down towards the the torso. I haven't um, found that at all. Maybe I accidentally okay. switched it off because I didn't understand how the buttons worked in the menus, which would be the other <laughs> thing it has. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Mixed passings. What have you been playing, Mosh? Well, other than that, uh, I've been playing with Chris, actually, um, a game called mm. Hood, Outlaws and Legends. Um, Legends, yeah. mate. It is a, a PvE VP multiplayer game in um, which players form two teams of of four, um, each team being uh, a band of merry eco-terrorist socialist druid bandits. <laughs> and uh, you go and plunder sprawling castles full of AI knights and crossbowmen who work for the state um, while the other team sneaks around and tries to fuck you up and make off with the loot themselves. Uh, which sounds really good, actually. Yeah. It sounds a lot very similar to Hunt Showdown or Tarkov in that in that kind of concept pitch. But it doesn't feel like Hunt or Tarkov actually at all when you play it. It's sort of much more contained and and feels like really clearly prescribed and and much more kind of directly oppositional. Almost like um almost like I, I was saying to Chris, it feels like it's like an Overwatch gimmick mode. Or, but then I thought actually the, the better analog is is the payload game mode for Team Fortress 2, where you've got two teams who are respawning continuously to kind of wrestle over a single object. Mm. And you sort of have that in uh, in this as well, because there's uh, at some point you need to steal a chest and then the both teams basically end up just in a big bun fight over this chest. But the, the cool part of Hood is that it front loads that that bun fight with a sort of stealth phase, which I think actually works reasonably well in the most successful part of the game. And so before you can even get hold of this chest, you have to sneak around the, the castle first and locate the sheriff, who is this massive, invincible, Sander Clegane-like dude. He may even be voiced by the guy who plays Sander Clegane. I, I don't know. It sounds like him, but I can't find any credits. Um, anyway, this guy will just insta-kill you straight away if he if he sees you um but you have to sneak behind him pickpocket his key then you have to go and find a vault which is at some random location in the map and then you have to take the treasure chest from that uh vault and then you have to carry it really fucking slowly uh to one of several extraction points where you attach it to a, an incredibly inefficient pulley mechanism and <laughs> then winch it really laboriously out of the level whilst being attacked by an implausible number of respawning waves of ai goons the invincible sheriff and the other team um so yeah there's lots of there's lots of parts to it but um uh how would you feel about it chris i think <laughs> uh, i want to approach it from a few different angles because i uh, mm. so here's the thing like i think it's uh, i would describe it as of an ilk with the other kind of recent or i say recent uh there's been there's been a number of like these kind of pvvp games over the years sort of variously MOBA inspired and not in that combination of like environment play and map control and objective play evolve is another one of these um even amazon's crucible ill-fated mm. as it was was one of these and what i think is interesting is you identified that what you end up with is this effectively respawn point battle um um i believe that is an output of these modes failing not mm. the goal and so you, what you end like it, it is intent basically a lot of systems are put in place phases of the game where different objectives need to be met by different people and systems layered on top of that um, and all of these different layered kind of multiplayer systems that sound good on paper and probably work well if both teams are in ideal circumstances for it i.e 
both teams of players are approaching it in the same way, basically, and are probably all working together very closely, it, it works. But what happens is I think that pile of mechanics um, is very easily subverted when players do what players do, which is kind of cut to the chase. And cutting to the chase in this case means we don't need to distract the guards to evade the, the thing, to achieve this goal, to steal the box and crank it out of the level before anyone else can get to it. We just need to kill the other players, really, um, and get to the other players faster. So maybe we'll capture a forward uh, respawn point. That's it. That's the game. And that descent is is inevitable, I think, on contact with a real player base. I don't think it's it, I don't think it's irrecoverable, mm-hmm. but I think this has always been the fate of games in this genre. And I think it's a uh, it's interesting because if not to diagnose intent, because I think it's difficult in some cases, but it often feels like in some cases you've worked backwards from what feels like a really good idea, but needs to be rigorously sense-checked against what players will actually do in that scenario. So on the surface, this is a like a Robin Hood competitive heist game. That sounds cool, right? There are echoes of Thief in some of its little mechanics and things like mm. that. And that sounds great on paper. And then the question is, how do we get players to actually behave in a stealthy way? How do we encourage players to... Uh, care about being seen or not seen how do we get players to how do we get players to do the thing we want them to do for the fantasy of the game to hold together which is a really tricky design logic but do you think do you think they've actually attempted that in the end yeah. i wonder if they started doing that found that they couldn't nail it and then went with a, a different solution which actually doesn't sit well with the the metaphor of being a, a, a bandit attacking a castle at all you see, I think so many of its mechanics are trying to encourage you to play a certain way that I think, including the ones that do work, and I would like to talk about them a little bit, um, that I think I think it's really clear that like, but I, I often don't think when it's, I often don't think it's problems like this are solved by adding more mechanics. But for example, there's some things that I think are fairly elegant in terms of how to do a competitive stealth game. So if a guard can see a player, that player is highlighted for all of the enemy players as well. So, you know, if the enemy gets spotted by a guard on the other side of the map, that you can see that little red outline on the, through the world. Um, and that provides a good reason to care about guards seeing you when you're trying to ambush the other team. That cool. Nice little bit of design, like quite elegant for achieving the thing they're trying to achieve. But the problem is that it, that it doesn't, it's not enough to defeat the, the real timer that players are rushing against, particularly in the last stage of the game, which is how fast can I get there? At which point you give up on the guards completely. And so that doesn't quite work. And and I think, but I think the evidence is there. Like, and it does create some moments. Like I do want, we should talk about the cast of characters because you, you can, you build your team out of one of four merry people, basically. But they're all like the kind of ill-fated HBO prestige TV version of Robin Hood. <laughs> like they're all like Robin's hood, but they fuck. Um, like, like Marianne is a, eco ninja with a hand crossbow who says mm. for the woods every time she kills somebody back to and mother earth back to mother earth robin is masked at all times the cool sniper who's from yorkshire and you've got you've got friar took but he's gonna fuck you up with his flaming sensor and his cool hair and then massive john and his great big hammer 
who can lift portcullises and hit people with a hammer. And those are his two things. Um, and there's each of these characters you can be mixed and matched, which what, what that means is you log into a game and everyone's Robin because he's the sniper. Um, but you can, you know, you, you have these moments where those abilities do overlap in fun ways. Like I had this where I was like, you know, struggling to break the defense of a heavily armored knight with, 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 uh, little john and then you came out of nowhere with took and hit him in the face with your sense of it stunned him and then i was able to smash him with the hammer and then similarly we're running away from the sheriff and i'm able to lift up the portcullis and get everyone through and then just slip through in time as it crashes down behind me those mm. moments i think where it does come together or like you know you'll you'll be sneaking off ahead as marianne and and uh, you'll kill one guard and then at the moment you kill them i'll snipe the other one with robin those moments feel good like they've yeah. nailed those moments, which feel like co-op moments from a cutscene advertising this game when they happen. Yeah, I think the character classes, they've done a really good job of differentiating them and and having them be complementary to each other. I think that's I think that all of that stuff is really good. Uh, and or, or even within the characters themselves, I think you, how they've judged the length of the cooldowns on the various special abilities they have and um, how they're their abilities are constrained in other ways. For example, Robin is, you know, the only deadly range character. Like Marianne has a, a hand crossbow, but it doesn't really, the damage fall off on it is, is, is massive. But uh, Robin only gets, what, like nine arrows or maybe seven arrows out of, you know, he, then he needs to go and resupply, which is just the right number of, <laughs> yeah. you know, silent, distant kills that uh, a character of that kind should be able to make. That stuff is, seems really smart to me. And yeah. I, I, I agree. I like the stuff about the enemy team visibility. I like the environments as well, which are these gorgeous and interesting uh, spaces. There's like a, a particularly beautiful coastal fort that rises out of these salt marshes and mist. Um, I don't know how I'd have to play it more, which I probably won't, to discover how <laughs> good they are as uh, as level design. Um, I, there's a few of them which I find to be very... Um, spatially disorienting because there's just there's no obvious way of uh differentiating between the different keeps and towers that mm. uh, surround you um because they're all made out of the the same textures and have the same lion sculptures in front of them so it, it becomes quite bewildering um but in, in general they, they seem like uh, really beautiful spaces but i don't know yeah the the, the combat though um doesn't quite work but I, I think that's a, a matter of just well it's it, it's just buggy really i think is is the main problem yeah currently i suspect those things will be refined but currently like there's a there's quite a mod like a moderately intricate intricate um interplay intended between your angle of attack and whether you can block it and parry it uh whether you can just automatically assassinate people because you're behind them and crouching um, there's a degree of auto-targeting, which currently is very frustrating because you might be trying to take off the last chunk of health of somebody, but then suddenly your character will pivot and launch a pointless attack at somebody who's already blocking. Um, and the, the insta-kill thing is just insane because uh, you can do that yeah. in the midst of melee. You can just scuttle around to somebody's left while crouching and then just get an instant kill by hammering the, the contact-sensitive key. Um and you know, I suspect that stuff will be refined, or maybe it won't. But it, right now, it's really, really not great. But I, I think even if they do fix that, for me, the thing that kills it is is that end game. Um, it's interesting you describe it as a as a fail state because I th I think it sort of it's it's it sort of is. Even though other games 
like Payload or or a lot of games do sort of funnel you towards a, a deadlock between two evenly matched teams. Um, a lot of the kind of MOBA-inspired games do that. But I was trying to think of why it feels just so much more aggravating here. I think it's not... I think it's partly because you have to fend off the AI too. Um, and you are so completely at the mercy of their respawn timers, which don't seem to follow any rhyme or reason. Um <clears throat> I, I th- honestly I think, think it's, I think it's like to do with the cadence of the respawns. It's like, yeah. like bear in mind, like in a man, I haven't done this in the podcast for a while. In a Dota game, respawn timers get longer as the match goes on, so dying becomes more and more punishing. In this game, it's basically always ten seconds, and the run back from the spawn is a variable length depending on the map and what's been captured and what hasn't. Um, but I think the cadence is slightly off, so that. The time it takes you to run back and kill the defenders is usually pretty much longer unless you do extremely well. It's almost always going to be longer than the time it's taking for defenders to respawn. And so you don't like winning that fight to reclaim the, the final objective or whatever doesn't feel really like a reward because you're almost immediately set upon mm. full health player enemies with a positional advantage because they're coming in behind you. Yeah, and you're completely and like, exposed yeah. while you're at the winch as well, which is yeah. In fact, the the entire premise of that <laughs> can we talk that about action can we talk about be... Robin Hood's cranking it mini game, where <laughs> like every level, the only way to extract the chest, even though you apparently arrived somehow, is to place it on a little platform, and then there's two cranks that can be cranked by people who have to then stand there and crank, and they can't do anything else. And if both people, if, if if a melee character is cranking, goes faster. If it's two people, also goes faster. But those people can't do anything and they're completely exposed. And I understand most of the design logic where it has to be this kind of particular set of locked in pieces. But the fantasy of like, we are Robin Hood. We're stealing from the rich to give to the poor. But first we have to commandeer a little crane. it's so disconnected from it's just whatever the fuck is going on i think that also it it definitely contributes to the feeling of chaos at the end of the game right right yeah i think that's the problem because it's not a deadlock that is stable or determined by the skill of the players because there are so many interacting systems just sort of just colliding chaotically at that point but there's not really it's i mean you're designed to switch back and forth about which team is on the winch and ultimately it doesn't actually matter what's what's insane about this is the win condition for the game is undermined by the whole chest winching as a metaphor anyway like you can well, you you can as a team winch that chest 90% of the way and the other team takes over winches at the remaining 10 minutes and then wins because apparently it doesn't matter to whom you're winching <laughs> on the other side of this wall and well, you, you still from is... the winch give to the poor <laughs> <laughs> and just i don't know why that i mean this makes so much less sense than having your own separate capture points and i think having separate separate capture points would would resolve some of the problem of just focusing everything on this chaotic brawl over a winch um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it feels like it feels like it should be i don't know a backseat redesign the game but it feels like either when the chest is claimed an exit should be randomly nominated usually pretty far from the chest right mm. like so it's players can't don't really know where they're going with it and it, that's disadvantageous maybe also like there's a moment in the tutorial where it says that the the sheriff will try and reclaim the chest and as far as i can see i've never seen him do this but no, if, he just walks around it 
yeah, if the sheriff actually picked the chest up and took it back, and then it became mm. a game of trying to get it back off the sheriff for both teams, I think that would help. But yeah. it ends up in this grind. Um, yeah. And w- where, w- would, yeah. Just just to add to my my winch based pedantry here, the um, so even if you regardless of who wins or loses the match based on who gets the the last winch <laughs> of this chest, who, who cranks it the final inch. <laughs> Sorry. As as you're winching, you pass various checkpoints along the winch process um, from which you cannot de-winch. Like once it's in the air after a certain point, it doesn't go back to zero, even if you stop winching. But once you pass those checkpoints, the team that has, has achieved that checkpoint gets a cash reward. And <laughs> But it doesn't make any sense because the chest is still not it's not in the it's not in the boat yet, or it's not over the wall. It's and yet you're getting rewards based on your partial victory even though then it decides it's a definitive one way or the other victory based on literally the last inch of winching it sounds like very confusing the winch is the main sentient actor in this game (laughs) it's like the sort of judge and jury executioner of your entire endeavor i just i just don't know why they went with it because it doesn't (laughs) it doesn't feel like it uh it evokes the fantasy. It doesn't. Mm. It's completely broken in that sense, and it adds as a mechanism. It seems disastrous. So I, yeah, I'm interested. All very intelligent. <laughs> yeah, it's such a strange thing because it is a really clear fantasy, but also like it's. I mean, you know, it is played against by the fact that you're one team of Robin Hoods against another team of Robin Hoods, right? Like, you know, and I, I get why. Like, I think when when games have tried to do the asymmetric PvPvE. That's even more complicated, right? Um, you know, and I can imagine probably an early draft of this game where you know it's one team, the sheriff, and the other team is you know the the bandits. Probably not, but I think everything about that final moment and the winch, and from the winching to the winch threshold to <laughs> the fight over the winch to the sight of two identical little big Johns just winching for their their fucking hearts out to kind of power winch over the last part. All of it takes you out of this fantasy because it becomes this thing where we're no, we're no longer stealing from the rich to give to the poor or doing it for the forest or whatever. We're just we're just a whole bunch of dickheads fighting over like a game show challenge while murdering each other really brutally by running at each other, crouching and then hammering E to see if we can trigger an animation. <laughs> and it gets real weird real fast. And I think I think that's my thing with games like this, where like all of that investment in, as you say, really beautiful environments, really interesting character classes and all of this thing, when it falls apart on contact with a, maybe, you know, this is the thing I was going to say, like an inexperienced player base, because obviously you and I are both very inexperienced with it, but we were getting matched with like level hundred players. And mm. this is what, this is how they were approaching it, right? They, they weren't, just a, they weren't doing brawl. it much better than us, to be honest. Even no, but they were they were landing their headshots with Robin Hood better, I would mm. say, oh, yeah. or yeah, or, or more more accurately, as Marianne just fucking like roadie running at people and slipping behind them and then triggering takedown animations and then doing it again. So, how would you fix it? How would you quick fix it first? And how would you uh, redesign it more totally for the pure uh, Chris authenticated Robin Hood experience? I think honestly, the the quick fix version of this is it's a PVE game, frankly, um, Left for Dead style, 
um, like a heist game, maybe one with a PvP element like Left 4 Dead, where another team can drop in and play as the sheriff or play as key guards and try and kind you know like cause problems for players who are otherwise doing their own things. I think Left 4 Dead is a better format for this kind of thing than a MOBA is necessarily. Oh, I always think of an even quicker fix yeah. than that. Like, I mean, how, what would you do with the live game now to... Oh, yeah, uh, rather than... Uh, yeah, I've just said it's like, you know, we just... Oh, boy. Yeah, it's tricky. I think I'd... I think I'd probably. I mean, there are a few things I'd do. I'd, I'd, I'd get. I'd switch out the chest for uh, something more portable. <laughs> like I'd go for something like sacks of gold, a la payday, which only partially yeah. encumber you. Because I think a lot of a lot of the reason that it ends up in this bun fight is that it is. It is just you are immobilized by the 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 payload, and that that turns out to be not at all fun because you then can't escape the waves of enemies, then they bog you down, and then the other players get you i think it'd be i think a, a more digital outcome would be preferable to what what is currently here um but to kind of support that i think you need to have like you said like the the extracts um either being randomly picked at the end or, or simply making them you know putting them in a very formal configuration so like there's an extract to the north and the south of the map and both player spawns are at the, the east and the west so they're all equidistant um or maybe yeah. each team has a different extract. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. How about this? Just as a quick thought. This is real pulling us out of my ass time. But, like, how about when the vault is breached and the chest is stolen, another NPC spawns in the map who is like, I don't know, let's call him the Chamberlain. <coughs> and he's like, he's, he's weak, but he's heavily guarded. And he has the key to the chest. And if you want max points you have to extract both and so the the team that is ahead at that point and gets the chest out has the advantage of having the chest but is going to have a harder time killing the as other character which the other team can go for and then when you end up in this stalemate where one team has the key and the other team has the chest they're both incentivized to try and clash with one another but probably over more of the map while having more things to play mm. with in each case I, I, there's definitely sites that don't quite work but like yeah, something no, about I, having like a second objective at the end so having that something that yeah. opens up that allows you to have uh a, you know maybe not a a fail state but a, an alternative win condition i think would be more in keeping with what begins in the the first the first half of the game because the, the first half of the game you have so many options there's many many different kind of uh strategies you can pursue to to locate the sheriff or find the vaults and you know whether you it feels very open and then suddenly as soon as the the chest is picked up like all of those options just immediately shrink down to okay we're just going to run basically to this point over and over yeah. and over again and that feels just like a, a, a i don't know a dismal abdication of of what the the game's promises so i think like you say having some other secondary objective which is optional or maybe you know having more than one uh, bag of loot around the level and and just allowing different teams to pick up more or less of it as they wish and maybe they don't even interact <laughs> maybe they they just uh, happily steal from the ai and and give to their own separate winches how about this all right how about this when they when one team begins the extraction process and delivers the chest to one of the winches right um the uh the the sheriff's 
um, menagerie is open somewhere on the map, which is maybe overseen by some kind of zookeeper character, but edgy and medieval. <laughs> if you can break into the menagerie, you can free, like, I don't know, a really big swan or something um, called the crank snapper. <laughs> and if you can release the crank snapper, it will slowly fly across the map counterable by maybe some positional flares or the ranged characters but if it reaches the crane that's currently in use it will fucking break it snap it in half and that team will have to pick up the chest and take it to another crane but if all three cranes get broken or every team loses yeah I think how about that's that what it was it was i think that's in keeping with the fantasy <laughs> yeah i will say though i think games like this uh that is obviously a stupid thing that i've said but i feel like I was thinking about these kinds of games, which always, I think, struggle. And like, one thing we haven't said is that it has a big kind of meta game with skins to unlock and upgrades and passives and things. And I didn't really find myself caring about any of that stuff because I couldn't have enough fun in a single match to think about wanting to be Robin Hood, but orange. Um, and I feel like that sort of retention system quite thickly layered over a game like this doesn't make it really any any more engaging. I think the place for experiences like this, just to say it, I think if you wanted to point to a place where games like this are popular and where they have life, it's probably Roblox, isn't it? Effectively, in, in far rougher form, in far jankier form than this. But these sort of like experimental multiplayer games with different bits of bobs going on, like they do have a place, but I feel like this, this, this effort to turn them into AAA, 30 pound kind of um, living things is so often really fraught um, that I wonder if their future lies in these kind of big productions as opposed to far more focused things. The only thing I would say, or far more both focused and disposable things, the only thing I would say in counter to that is that obviously Hunt pulled it off. Hmm. How would you How would you uh, totally redesign it? I uh, like I say PVE focused. I think I think okay. well actually or or actually to be honest, Hunt is the you know it it, it yeah. sits like push it push it. You know what I need to do? Add a swan. Put it in a bio. Perfect. You sorted it. God, imagine if imagine if Hunt, when when when, when both monsters died, a third monster <laughs> called the Crank Snapper appeared. <laughs> but if you could defeat it, it would fly towards the, one of the sets of horses <laughs> somewhere on <in> the map. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking eat them. <laughs> yeah, I do think it. I do think it could uh, benefit by being more Hunt like. Uh, I think you'd. I don't know. I take actually yes. What would it be like if you took out respawning altogether from uh, Hood? I think that would be quickly. quite interesting. Yes, but I mean, would that be so bad? I mean, I think no. you could r reduce team sizes to like two then, and and maybe have three teams of two rather than two teams of four. I think you'd have to. You'd have to. I think remove respawning for everyone. That includes the guards. Oh yes, yeah, yeah. And I, 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 I'm imagining a game where you have you know better stealth than in this which where it is it is functional but quite basic it's bush based um, yes bush based very heavily bush based yeah i mean i i, I the, it's the same developers who did eve valkyrie i believe um oh yeah which i did like and i i do hope that i hope that something can be kind of made of this it's just um it's always a bit of a shame i think to see like a really clear fantasy in a well executed world just kind of get defiled by the way players actually act when they're in it. What do you think of it's it as a Robin Hood thing, though? Do you think it's an interesting take on Robin Hood, the myth, the legend, the man? 
the fox. Is he a talking fox? Um, the crank he not snapper. Fox? The crank snapper. I mean, I, I would I would much prefer if it was Disney's Robin Hood, to be honest. Um, but uh, um, hmm, I feel like there's not really any one such thing as a kind of you know. Um, I don't, there's not much new under the sun when it comes to Robin Hood interpretations, right? I feel mm. like we've had edgy Robin Hood. That's why I kind of described it as the um, the sort of the uh, HBO kind of prestige TV version of this. It has, it, I think it, it stems from the same, you mentioned Sangul Kugain and, and it sounding so much like him or the sheriff at least. It has that air of like post Game of Thrones fantasy or um, like Vikings, specifically the show Vikings, which I think has been enormously influential on games in the last couple of years. Mm. Like not, not least Assassin's Creed Valhalla, but like just feels like that particular mood um, of it's fantasy. Like, uh, yeah, heroes have been able to reclaim Wode. That's what it's. Yeah, uh, that's what it's done for <laughs> character right. design. Yeah, it's it definitely that sort of. Uh, I, I, well, it's definitely taking the same layer layering that that is, which is. Um, what if the Vikings were actually a kind of like Mayans MC type motor motorbike club where they're, they're good boys just on the wrong side of the law? The law being, in this case, I don't know, the there's the Saxons or maybe the Normans, if you go Valhalla's way and kind of displace it a little bit. And so it's that same sort of like, um, I guess it's it's trying to to frame this as a kind of, uh, you know, legends are formed as outlaws rise up against the monolithic state, but presented a historically, I don't think that necessarily, I'm not saying that's a, a bad story to try and tell by any means. I just think it divorced from real history or divorced from really anything broader than like sometimes state bad. Mm. Um, I don't, I don't feel like it's, I'll put it this way. It doesn't feel like it's doing something specific with that myth. What it's taking from those set of stories is the characters and the sort of vague English sort of theme, but it's, it doesn't feel specifically like a, a Robin Hood world, right? Mm. Necessarily. Um, Robin could be Garrett. The sheriff could be anyone. And the other characters have moved sufficiently far from their origins, apart from maybe Little John to be kind of fair, but they're all sort of grimdark superhero versions of those people, right? So. Yeah. Not one, not one of them are talking Fox. Which is always a pity. Yeah. I thought it was interesting that it was, it was channeling paganism, I think. Uh, I feel or at like least sort of hmm. some kind of new worldish sort of interpretation of uh, paganism as being connected in some way with nature. Um. Which is interesting. I feel like oh, I, don't know. I feel, like, it, I feel I, it kinda is. I think it kinda is. I think it feels like quite an quite a familiar take now, you know? Yeah, um, it's also kind of ahistorical, I suppose, because nature is uh is um threatening, really, mm. in any medieval text. As exemplified I, in fact by the upcoming Gawain in the Green Knight film, which is mm, very exciting. That is really exciting, actually. Uh, I want to talk about that actually, but final note on the um, um, Robin Hood thing. I think it does succeed as a, a kind of evocative, sort of like gothic, low fantasy world, right? Just not yeah. from you know, just just in terms of its environments and the characters there. Like looks and feels good, um, but 
I don't think it's necessarily a, an entry in the kind of canon of Robin Hood interpretations with much to add or say. No, Apart I mean, from, it, like you say, it could be genericized yeah. and it would be basically any any sort of low fantasy setting, really. I think it's kind of a shame that they've taken that Robin has no charisma. I know that like tellings vary on like who he mm. or indeed, you know, uh, she was and, and how they behaved and who they were and, and how that how that how they acted and what kind of personality they were and that changes dramatically but having them be simply like mostly silent or at least so taciturn that you can't really get a personality other than gruff the forest sends its regards yeah you know yeah apart from maybe stark being the kind of the 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 the, the, the theme there like um he's some kind of cranog man um cranog man it, versus the crank snapper <laughs> See, we fixed it before the very eyes. Us, a bunch of dickheads. Um, I think I think that seems like a bit of a misunderstanding because it feels like you should be your your poster character, right? If you're making mm. this game, um, and so for him to be very very anonymous feels like um, maybe a little bit of a missed opportunity. Maybe they actually are going for like the kind of V for Vendetta thing where this masked anybody. I don't know. Who knows? Curious. Who knows? Curious. But it's from a, I mean, hang on, I don't actually know which, I think it was Sumo Newcastle who did this. Uh, yeah. But obviously Sumo, I think, did Sumo start in Nottingham? It's definitely got a Nottingham HQ. Uh, um, was that not escalating podcast voice the thing that became of the CCP Northeast studio? <laughs> <laughs> go higher, Chris, go higher. Um, I'm I really unsure about this. But, it but feels anyway, right, what I, I think they did be Valkyrie. What I was going to say is that obviously having a, a Nottingham studio as part of your stable of studios, which possibly mm. contributed to this game, would make sense of it as, uh, you know, picking Robin Hood. Or even, new, new, well, I don't know. I mean, I there, are, this, there I, are versions of Robin Hood which uh, have origins in, in uh, f- further north. But, um, I mean, yeah. I yeah, I actually, I mean, I will say this. I think Robin Hood is maybe under tapped resource for games. In fact, it's actually astonishing to me that it hasn't been a Robin Hood Assassin's Creed game. Mm. But I don't think this is it. Other way to fix it. Other way to fix it. Take the other great story, predominantly about a forest full of thieves, and make it a PvPVE Princess Bride heist game based on the final sequence of that film where your character classes are Inigo Montoya, you know, the, the man in black Fezzik. Um, and you go about doing basically exactly the same thing, but it's funny instead. <laughs> yeah. I'd play that. So it's uh, it's kind of like team fortress two level, that last castle siege actually in that film. <laughs> it is. Yeah. You've got to push a little cart with a effigy on it. Um, I'm a sword fight up yeah. a staircase. Very good. Yeah. What were you going to say about um, the, the Green Knight film? Whoa. Whoa. I'm really excited. Yeah. I have no idea yeah. it would be good based on the trailer, actually. But um, I, 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 I'm a big fan of um, Dead Patel anyway. But Yeah, I just really want to go to a cinema and watch yeah. something like with yeah. with sort of some, some creative heft behind it. Last thing I saw in the cinema was Tenet. <laughs> I watched that the other day. Uh, what, Did you? Watched is a strong word for it. <laughs> I think it's kind of like a as a game. It, like if if as a game, Tenet held together, I could 
I'd enjoy it more. But it breaks its own rules. Like if you sort of literally mm. from like the same sequence of the fight, fight sequence, like from one cut to another cut, it's like no, you've explained how the rules work. This and what you're doing makes no sense. Ah, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, what a mess. Oh well. Uh, yeah, I feel like. Um... Yeah, it feels like, ironically, for the format of that film, they, they, they also worked backwards from an end result, which is <laughs> the central sequence in the film, the airport heist bit, is going to be, that's the whole point for everything in it, really, all of its logic, everything else. Mm. I'm going to work backwards from that and post it to try and turn that into a film, and I just don't think they did, really, because everything else in it is, like, um, I think just... Char- beloved British character actors read Wikipedia articles for <laughs> semi-interesting things that could have been a podcast. Like <laughs> I would, I would listen to the podcast where Michael ex- Michael Caine explains what nationless zones in airports are. <laughs> you know, I would watch that. I would watch. I'd listen to that podcast. I really would. I think that that very entertaining. Um, I'm, I was surprised to find it arrive as a ostensibly a scene in the first act <laughs> <laughs> of Tenet. Don't know how we got onto this. If uh, readers, uh, readers, listeners write in with how you turn Tenet into a game. Because there could be some game mechanics in there, but it's coming out of walls, reversing time, all that. Even though yeah. it makes no flipping sense because it immediately like just... Uh, oh, if an explosion feels... happens backwards, it's cold. What? <laughs> <laughs> what, are you, what are you talking about? Absolute nonsense. I didn't, yeah, I didn't realize. I didn't realize, but before that happened, this room was explosion level. Hot. <laughs> <laughs> is it stuffy in here? Or is an explosion not unhappened? <laughs> useless. Useless. Waste of time uh, and money. <laughs> Um, oh dear! Anyway, I haven't thought about that since I saw it. <laughs> I haven't thought about that since ten minutes after I saw it. Um, I do, lo- yeah. I do, I do love the hubris of Nolan campaigning to end lockdown and endangering the lives <laughs> of millions, <laughs> indeed the entire globe, just so people could see a fucking rubbish, <laughs> stupid, nonsensical film about time travel. Jesus! Uh, and the great one of the, I mean, I, I think we've one thing that has stuck with me, maybe I just love really bad writing. Maybe that is the key to my career, uh, to, <laughs> to what I like about media. But um, the line, I am paraphrasing, it'll mean the end of everybody in the world, including my son. <laughs> yes, that bits. is really, really good. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's my it... son, a person from <laughs> Earth. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's 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 actually uh, I think the film that a variation on that line happens twice in the film. The first time it's an exchange where the guy says to her, "Yeah, like every oh uh, yeah, if this happens, every, all our timeline will cease to exist, and everything in it will die. Everyone in it will die." And then she goes, uh, "Would my son die?" It's like, "Are you in this conversation? <laughs> Did you, <laughs> are you in the same room as this man? Like, what's going?" On? I, should, I should be clear. My son is an explosion. <laughs> How will this affect him? <laughs> If you catch the Rona in this film, you get healthier. That should have been in the marketing. They would have opened up the cinema straight away. I did, um, did, I've enjoyed that discussion it, much better, much more. I, I saw, yeah, I saw it at the um, uh, uh, the Tivoli in Bath, which is a sort of upscale yeah. cinema yeah, for people with too good 20 to quid to spend on going to the cinema. And um, and it's, it normally attracts the kind of audience that is going to talk extremely loudly about, like, 
you know, how Quentin's doing at school before the film begins, but then maybe generally pretty quiet throughout. Um, and the, just the moment Kenneth Branagh appeared in Tenet, everyone laughed. And I don't know why, <laughs> but it felt like there was some sort of like psychic resonance of like, I wasn't expecting to see you as a Russian arms dealer. And he obviously is very good because he's an extremely good actor. I feel like that one time on the podcast where I accidentally dunked on Kenneth Branagh, I still feel bad about it. He's probably, he's fine. He's fine. But I think he's a great actor, uh, but he, he, he is, it, is, it is interesting to see the roles in which he occasionally slums. Like, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Tenet is definitely a, one of one of his uh, lower efforts. His, his acceleration from talking to shouting in that film is... <laughs> I mean, to be fair, the script he's working with does demand that he do that, but even then, it's just like... It's... But you see Tom, you see Tom in the logic of the film... He's, he's talking very quietly. He's shouting to go in quiet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, does, does Pip have a take on um, Kenneth Branagh as Poirot? Uh, I don't know. We did see that in this cinema i think we watched it afterwards on streaming i'm not sure exactly no we didn't i watched on the plane i don't know if she's seen it i don't think she has any interest i think i think like pip's interest in poirot is is deeply rooted in that very particular kind of genteel um uh sort of pleasant poirot as Hmm. kind of embodied by david suchet rather than um kenneth brenner's interesting grimdark poirot I haven't seen um, it, so I don't know. I didn't know it was Grimdark. He's fucking angry. Oh. And like, and I think, I don't think that's Ill, an illegitimate reading of the character. Like, you know, not to turn this into the other, other podcast that we led last a long time ago, but, you know, I think the things I really love about David Suchet's Poirot is like, he can go from this <coughs> incredibly genial, um, very pleasant, respectful to everybody character and then there are moments where it really hardens into the, the the anger that he holds for genuinely cruel people, for example, mm. or or people who um, predate on on very vulnerable people. And those moments have a lot of weight because you see it come out of this sort of um, perfectly presented, rotund, friendly man. And um, I think I think Kenneth Branagh's Poirot kind of had all that edge, but he also had like this big bristly mustache, and he was all bristles. I think and it was an interesting take. I think I, I think I don't know. David Suchet's Pyro is one of those performances where it just sort of comes to define how people even think about the character. Like, I really liked um, uh, John Malkovich's Poirot in not the actual TV series itself, which I thought was mm. dump, but his his his, input, his uh, embodiment of that role I thought was uh, was good and interesting and subtle. But uh, yeah, I, I'm, I don't I don't really have a um, like a. A good view on the various incarnations of Poirot. I only know that I like that in isolation, really. Branagh does good sad face in Warlander. That oh yeah, TV adaptation. Lots of verse <laughs> sitting in a very nice designer chair, staring through a wall in his front room. Because <laughs> mm. humanity is bad. It certainly is quite good though. How did we get from Robin Hood to How's Kenneth Branagh doing? <laughs> 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 Seems like he's doing well. Your tenant's done well. I'm sure he's fine. Yeah. This is our annual Branner watch. <laughs> he was in a Clancy, wasn't he? As well. That doesn't surprise me. What was he in? He was in the um he was in the bad the bad <laughs> I don't want to say bad as though it's gonna differentiate between them. The um the the worst of all of the Jack Ryan films. Um the one with uh, what's his name? 
fucking young Captain Cook. One of the Chris's. Oh, Chris, Chris Pine. Pine. Chris oh, Pine. that one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think he played an evil Russian in it. Or uh, somebody that, called Victor yeah. anyway. Yeah, he has that through line. I think you can tell when he's slumming because he plays a Russian villain of some kind. Is that the one where they... I can't remember exactly the scene. There's definitely a scene where Chris Pine either steals or abandons a dog he's just stolen. And it took me out <laughs> the rest of the film. Yeah. Tom Clancy's Re- Without Remorse is a, a very good name for a film. Uh, I would feel remorse if I abandoned a dog <laughs> I'd just stolen. I watched that. I watched Without Remorse. Oh, is it all right? No. Ah, I suspect. Would you like to hear a question from questions? Let's do it. Yeah, go on. Hi, Caramel Crocombouche. Crocombouche? I'm not sure how to pronounce that. Crocombouche? Hmm. Uh, I first heard of these a few weeks ago. Have you heard of them? Clearly not, is the answer. (laughs) A a crocombouche. Let's Google search that. It is a big pile of what look like um, shoe pastry puffs. Sounds great. Just in a, in a Kept big meant pyramid. To me. <laughs> they sound very good. The writer continues. He signs himself a listener, by the way. So um, uh, mm-hmm. that's how we shall refer to him. Uh, I listened to a discussion of Resident Evil 8 in episode 368, having just finished playing the Resident Evil 2 remake. The trajectory of the series and the difference in style between each RE game got me thinking about what makes horror effective and whether there are any types or styles of games that wouldn't suit horror. I'm not well-versed in horror games, but to me, survival horror is partially driven by the fear of what horrible thing you'll run into next, and feeling on the edge of not necessarily having enough equipment to deal with it. The dynamics of this feel very much suited to a 3D point of view, because there's always a lurking threat that something will pop out when you turn around a corner. I wonder if it's possible to capture that atmosphere and replicate the same amount of gravitas in a 2D game. With this, I'd like to hear your thoughts on whether a side-scrolling game can effectively capture the same atmosphere that is found in good RE games. I wonder if a Hollow Knight with horror elements would work, or if the 2D horror elements would wear off quickly. Have you played any amazing horror games that are side-scrolling? What design and mechanics did they employ differently to a 3D horror game to create and maintain the atmosphere? Love the pod. Thanks for reading, a listener. Hmm. I feel feel like there are plenty of... 2D horror games, right? Yeah. Like this is, I mean, you can do horror in more or less any medium. I'm not like I'm not saying that you create exactly the same experience as a survival horror, but there's not nothing necessarily about that format that is necessarily that different, even to early Resident Evils, which were Mm. if not 2D, but they were limited movement on a painted backdrop. Yeah. Um, so you you certainly weren't given the freedom of perspective that you are you know they have like a two D game limited perspective and they certainly managed so that I think holds. It's a very good two um, D side scrolling uh, horror game called uh, Lone Survivor, which is very much mm. in the sort of Silent Hill uh, vein. But I think that also uh, has a sort of survivalish element to it, where you're actually kind of very resource poor throughout and have to think quite carefully about what you do. Yeah, um, I think it is. You can go back as far as Alien Breed, stuff like that, which is top-down shooter, mm. ostensibly. But also, you have to watch your ammo, and also uh, the aliens could swarm you, and there's a certain pacing to the way that they're revealed at the edges of the screen as you're opening new doors and stuff like that. Um, actually, like, opening doors and roguelikes and things like that can also well, provide the same sort of horror shock. Uh, and you could even go back to sort of in, interactive fiction, some very, pretty good Lovecraftian interactive 
interactive fiction. I think one's called just Innsmouth or something. Um, mm-hmm. I'll find out. Antonio has put me onto it, and I'll send that to Marshall for the show notes. I would also point to World of Horror for the same thing. Oh yeah, uh, which is the sort of Shuji uh, Ito inspired. Um, mm. um, it's like a horror 2D. management game almost. It is a horror management game styled after a kind of like a DOS game, pretty much like mm. a, a very retro in its aesthetic. And I think that proves how lo-fi it can be, even just paging from screen to screen and still have some real surprises. And actually, I think one of the reasons that works. I think there's an interesting thing, and maybe one of the tensions with the 2D horror game is, is I think horror becomes more of an abstract quality and less of an immediate thing you're experiencing. Literally, the further the way the camera is <laughs> from you, whatever character you're controlling. So, you know, there are plenty of 2D games with a pretty thick horror aesthetic, right? Like, they come out long all the time. Um, Castlevania is a good example of this, right? Like, it's layered in, in horror tropes, but you wouldn't call it a horror experience, partly because of the way you interact with it and partly because of the perspective. Um, and then the the most unbearable horror games that people really struggle with are almost always first person because you know that narrow perspective, the sense that whatever harm could befall you is going to happen very immediately to you rather than to an avatar. You know these are all kind of scales of the same thing. But I think World of Horror succeeds because um, one, it's just well written and evocative horror that takes place predominantly in your mind's eye, and that's always going to be effective. But also it creates the sense of being sat at a kind of old computer late at night, like uh, tinkering away with this sort of, you know, it achieves the Lovecraftian thing, which I think people often miss, which is it's not about the monsters. It's the text itself that is the haunted thing. And that by reading it, you're putting yourself in danger. And that's where the eeriness comes from. And World of Horror achieves that in the sense that it feels like playing a haunted video game. You know, that the game itself is something um, dangerous or occult in some way. And that achieves the ultimate first person inside your own brain. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to play that because I've just finished reading a bunch of Junji Ito stuff. And, um, you really should. If, if you, yeah, you should. It's great. Excellent. Yeah, I just finished Uzumaki, which is um, spiral mm-hmm. in Japanese and is about a town that's haunted by spirals. And uh, Yeah, it, big influence on Modern Horrors. For, Fantastic, yeah. Oh, right in my street, then. Lovely. Also, like Darkwood. Have you guys played that? Oh, yeah. Top-down survival horror game. That, no. Darkwood, mm. surprisingly enough. That really uses Fog of War, doesn't it, to kind of yeah. create... I suppose that, actually, that's interesting, because, I mean, that gets around the whole perspective thing of you having just too much knowledge of your environment to feel scared, but in this, you have a sort of cone of vision in front of you. Mm. Um so things can still sneak up on you in the dark. I wonder if here's a big old straight out of my, my backside take. Um, mm. I wonder if in a 2D setting, top down is scarier than side scrolling because it is more claustrophobic necessarily. You're staring at the ground. Well, I think it's, there's also uh, a greater unknown space from which things can emerge and get you, right? Mm. whereas mm. you've only got left and right <laughs> inside scrolling. <laughs> um, and you're going to be looking in one of those directions. <laughs> Any more horror thoughts? No, I'm too scared. Okay. <laughs> Treats are covered for the evening. <laughs> in that case, those are all the questions uh, that I'm sufficiently awake to answer, I'm afraid. 
if you'd like to send us another question, you send them to questions at CrateandCrowbar.com. You can tweet us at Crate and Crowbar, and you can watch and listen to all of these videos on YouTube, where you can find other stuff by us. That is YouTube.com slash Crate and Crowbar. Um, you can also back us on Patreon if you wish. The URL for that is Patreon.com slash Crate and Crowbar, or you can join our wonderful Discord community uh, who give me life and sucker every day that I'm on this planet. The link for which is on our website. <laughs> Easy now. CrateandCrowbar.com. <laughs> Sorry. But yeah. um, <laughs> they're very nice. I, I did mean that. I mean, really. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> it, sounded, it sounded like I went overboard there, but I... <laughs> you meant it. You meant it. I did meant it. Um, that's it. I've been Marsh Davis. I've been Tom Senior. Oh, you got that. I've been Chris Thurston. And you know what? This castle isn't so bad. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Thanks for, for crank snapping, everybody. everybody.